Hey, hey, my name is Brett Bivens. Welcome back to Venture Desktop. Each episode is an exploration of a key thread that I'm picking up on the ground as I think about, invest in, and work with companies that are building the future of work, wellness, media, cities, and industry. Those are the five often overlapping megatrends that I care a lot about and where I spend most of my time as an early stage venture investor at TechNexus. Venture Desktop is not long form, but it is a deep dive focused on highlighting, annotating, and more thoroughly understanding the trends, companies, and people shaping the rapidly changing world that we live in. So if you're interested in these areas or working in these areas as a founder, operator, or investor, I think you'll find the next few minutes very useful. I'd love to connect with you to hear your ideas for the show or to talk about ways that we can work together. You can find me on Twitter at Brett Bivens and can make sure you're first in line for new episodes and updates by signing up at VentureDesktop.com. All right, let's jump in. In this episode of Venture Desktop, we're exploring the consumer subscription business model, or consumer SaaS, how consumer demand has shaped the growth of the market to date, what investments and company creation opportunities look like going forward, and how the capital stack will mature to support the vast range of companies being built in the market today and that will be built in the future. Thanks to global distribution platforms, converging consumer tastes, and emerging technologies that are breaking down many of the geographic barriers to reaching customers and building passionate communities, Consumer SaaS businesses are being launched and scaled around the globe in nearly every consumer vertical imaginable. You can get a great sense for how wide-ranging the impact of consumer SaaS companies has become through this graphic, which comes from a great report. It's the best report that I've seen on the consumer SaaS market by the investment bank GP Bullhound. We'll come back to it a couple of different times throughout this discussion. But what you see here is, again, a really wide range of company types of markets where consumer SaaS is having an impact. Everybody's familiar with Netflix and Spotify, and even health with leaders like Calm, Headspace, Active, and Strava have pushed that into the mass market. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is how pervasive this business model has become in areas like personal finance, education, productivity, family, travel, religion. It's all getting really interesting, really exciting. At the same time, it is still quite small and it's still in its early days. If you look at a chart of publicly traded consumer internet companies like this one from Blossom Street Capital, you'll find that subscription companies and their combined impact on the public markets is quite small compared to the business models like advertising, where you have companies like Facebook, commerce like Amazon, or companies with a marketplace transaction model like Uber. Now you can interpret this a couple ways. You can think of this as something that's bound to be structurally persistent. Or you can take it to mean that there's a lot of growth runway left for companies with this business model as a percentage of all consumer spend. And I personally favor the latter point of view for a few reasons. First, some of the most beloved companies on this list are consumer SaaS businesses. Netflix, Spotify, Peloton. And if you remember the framework from investor Gavin Baker that we talked about in episode one of Venture Desktop, it's that long-term growth, whether that's a specific company, whether that's a market, whether that's a technology, long-term growth in revenue tends to follow early passionate engagement, and consumer SaaS companies have that in spades. The second factor that I think advantages consumer subscription businesses is their direct relationship and their alignment with their customers. Dave Brzezinski of Bailey Gifford wrote an amazing white paper earlier this year called The Case for Growth, and hat tip to Paul Barnes from First Round Capital for surfacing this, where among other things, he describes a shift that we're undergoing as an economy from supply-driven innovation, which is basically tolerant consumers taking whatever companies dole out to them, to this innovation curve that slopes up a whole lot faster thanks to positive feedback loops between supplier innovation and hyper-personalized consumer demand, which is what Jeff Bezos has called divine discontent. And while the consumer subscription model is not the only business model that can take advantage of this transformation, consumer SaaS businesses can go to market quickly. They don't have to solve the chicken and the egg problem like marketplaces do. 
And they also have that direct payment connection with consumers, which accelerates the feedback loop that I just talked about. Again, per GP Bullhound, these factors are contributing to a growth trajectory that could see the average U.S. consumer spending upwards of $100 per year on digital subscription services by 2022. That's a massive, massive jump from where we are today, which kind of gets us to the next step in understanding the consumer SaaS landscape. How do we actually build and finance companies that will fill that significant gap between the spend today and the projected spend down the road? One thing I love noting about companies in this space that I think most people miss when they see the headlines about 40% of venture capital dollars being funneled straight to Facebook and Google for ad spend is how many companies there are out there operating under the radar with very little capital raised, small teams, but very real revenue. Within health and fitness, which is one of the categories um, that sees kind of the most uh, consumer SaaS plays right now, two of the top five grossing apps as of late 2019 applied this Pegasus strategy where they skipped over the traditional venture track until they hit escape velocity or could raise growth capital on their own terms. And I think this tweet from investor Dave Ambrose sums up what we've seen over the last couple of years very well. These two companies that I'm talking about, you first have Sweat from Kayla at Sinis, which as of 2018 was doing about $80 million in annual revenue without no outside capital raised at all. And then there's Calm, which has now raised over $100 million at a valuation greater than a billion from a top tier set of investors, but which started off raising a modest amount of capital, got some profitability, and then got aggressive with that outside capital once it controlled its own destiny. And there's a really great conversation that I'll share a snippet of here with Alex Tu, the founder of Calm and the CEO of Calm, where he talks about this. It's been awesome. Um, and we didn't need to raise money because actually for the last you know couple of years, we've been cash flow positive. Um, and this is the great thing about subscription businesses. If you can crack it, you know, you have regular, you have basically like, in, you know, an investment coming in every month through your payments. It's just, it gave us a lot of like control of our own destiny. So we were able to, you know, raise on great terms, you know, not just a great valuation, but great terms, you know, and um, so that was great. And then in terms of revenue, yeah, so we did 2.3 million in 2015. We did 7 million in 2016. We did 22 million last year and this year we'll do 80. Um, so we've been still growing you know, super quickly and next year, definitely north of 100 million. Thank wow, you. Thank you very much. pretty amazing. And yeah, that is pretty amazing. It's definitely worthy of applause. Uh, it's probably not the same type of growth path that most companies are destined for. And frankly, there are still concerns in the industry and in the market about things like retention and the long-term sustainability of individual businesses, uh, thanks in part to you know, that same potential for shifting consumer needs and consumer demands that have opened up the market so significantly in the first place. But it is clear that a large number of these new brands that are based around the consumer SaaS model have real potential to become long-term franchises that finally make the leap from single product companies to businesses offering a broader range of services and experiences to customers, either by going mass market or going deeper into the wallet of their core user base, driving a larger share of wallet there. Uh, in the first episode of Venture Desktop, I used the example of Spotify and their unique business model leverage to show why even at their massive scale, there's a ton of growth left for them. As the market and the business model continue trending towards maturity and broader understanding, I think it's inevitable that we'll see the capital stack mature alongside of it. Moving beyond just large VC rounds that are focused on winning early market opportunities to more systematic strategies where alpha is driven by operational excellence and global scale. Namely, we'll start to see more targeted and sophisticated private equity and M&A plays emerge to support and extract value from companies that are reaching a certain scale. In a previous post, I wrote about the opportunity for a firm to roll up the at-home fitness market, and I used L. Catterton's activity in the space as a guide. What's worth kind of pulling out from that post to set a baseline for what I'm talking about here uh, is 
this kind of quick phrase around the strategy that actually works for a roll-up opportunity. So the strategy tends to work well when the group of companies that are being brought together are similar enough that they can benefit from shared, scaled-out fixed infrastructure across core business functions, but where they're different enough with either end customer demographics, positioning, branding, geography, et cetera, that they don't encroach too aggressively on one another. And quickly, I'll touch on three examples where I think this could work, where different buyout or M&A models could be employed effectively in the consumer SaaS market and how we might think about when and where we'll see those strategies executed. While I've noted throughout that the consumer SaaS market and the private equity opportunity related to it is in its infancy, that's not entirely true. So one company, Match Group and Dating, has been early to the opportunity building this wholly owned portfolio, com- uh, portfolio of consumer SaaS businesses. So Match, who owns Tinder and Hinge and OkCupid, among many others, has spent the last 20 years, as Brian Norgard says here, building up a set of brands that cater to virtually every dating desire really taking this idea that segmentation matters. Um, The depth of expertise and data that Match has developed via the strategy has enabled it to better understand, better than anyone else, what features and experiences users across the portfolio are seeking. So you can get a sense here. One example is live video. Uh, Once live video becomes available on one platform, they understand that it works. They can push that out across and scale that out across all of their different properties. While the decentralized nature of it has actually given individual brands like Tinder the autonomy and the ability to respond with agility and innovative ideas to meet their specific set of consumers where they are. And Tinder Swipe Night, which you can see in the show notes, is a really great example of that. So where might this strategy work beyond dating? Going back to what we were talking about before, my guess is that it'll be first employed in the fitness space. We've already seen some precedent in the brick and mortar market with firms like Exponential Fitness that are expanding category by category. Elk Catterton's aforementioned play in the equipment market is another indicator that this might kind of be the next big domino to fall. The next step up here uh, is what you could call the hub and spoke model. So if you follow me on Twitter or listen to earlier episodes of Venture Desktop, you've seen a lot from me about Spotify and the opportunity I think they have to expand beyond music to different subscription offerings that more broadly address the spoken word market. By nature of owning a platform with significant consumer demand, laddering up from music to their now large playing podcasts, Spotify's upstream data-wise of a lot of different consumer subscription expansion opportunities that it can capture via M&A and new internally developed products. And other companies have this type of an asset as well. Like I said, you might call this the hub and spoke model where you leverage a core subscription user base and then upsell additional offerings to gain a larger share of wallet from those core customers. Until recently, this option seemed pretty out of reach for most consumer SaaS companies who are struggling to simply generate enough demand to support a single product at scale. This is changing, and I think we'll see both of these at-scale, independent consumer subscription companies go after this model as an M&A strategy, as well as private equity firms who should start splocking to the space once the market becomes a bit more predictable and tractable. And that kind of gets us to the last point here. The final model is one that, to my knowledge, has not yet been deployed in the consumer SaaS space, but thanks to more experienced operators, better long-term data and benchmarks, and a more mature corporate M&A market, the pure play consumer SaaS buyout firm, which is built on operational excellence, these, these playbooks that they all develop, top-tier talent networks, and a long-term commitment to the business model in the mold of you know, Tomo Bravo or Vista Equity seems very much on the horizon. And building out this model to start would not take a massive capital investment, as the firm going after the opportunity would probably not be vying to compete and buy these billion-dollar companies like Calm today. Instead, the strategy would be best focused on vertical opportunities and companies that are either largely owned uh, via founder owned, I'm sorry, via capital efficient growth. So staying off of that VC treadmill 
where the initial product is reaching its nat natural growth limit and a buyout could potentially provide both founder liquidity and allow for a capital and management objection, injection more focused on leveraging a strong brand to expand into new categories and geographies that wouldn't have been reached with organic growth. Or circling back to companies that are overly reliant on VC funding to date without clear paths to those large growth rounds or billion dollar outcomes where you could go in and employ a more rigid operational approach that would yield a more sustainable business that within sort of that three to five year private equity period could be turned into an attractive asset for a corporate buyer. And while we may be a couple of years out from this strategy being employed at any real kind of scale, the market again remains so nascent that most categories are still very much up in the air and the long-term category structures are far from being in place. It's something I'll be watching closely, and it's something I think we'll see continue to develop very rapidly. So that's it for consumer subscription businesses as it relates to the rundown. Now we'll jump quickly to a quick hit section that I go through at the end called re-readables, re-listenables, and retweetables. We're basically inundated with new content, new blog posts, trending tweets, and podcasts that hit the top of our feed. But these things often have a shelf life that's a lot shorter than it should be. So here we jump back in time, a few news cycles or a few years to pull out some gems that you may have missed on the category of the day, consumer SaaS. One way to gauge the maturity of a business model or a market is by how much attention private equity is paying to it, as we talked about before. Another way apparently is by how much content gets created around that space. And there's this fire hose of content around enterprise SaaS, podcasts, conferences, blog posts, investor letters, but next to nothing about consumer SaaS. Uh, I'll quickly call out four of the only posts that I'm actually aware of in this space from four really great investors. Uh, if you have anything that you've seen, please send it my way. I love reading about this stuff. Uh, the first three are from a few years ago as Netflix and to a lesser extent Spotify were starting to show their lasting power. While the last one from version one's uh, Angela Tran is a bit of an update. Where's the consumer SaaS market at today? And where can we expect it to go in the next couple of years? Now, like with blog posts, there's relatively little in the way of audio content that's directly related to the consumer subscription business model. There are some great interviews with people like Daniel Eck of Spotify. Uh, there's a recent Invest Like the Best podcast that I'll link to that you should check out that was incredible. And plenty of great interviews with Reed Hoffman of Netflix, uh, Hastings, I'm sorry, of Netflix. But again, very few that get it what it takes to build a consumer SaaS business at the early stages. So I'll take this lack of content as an opportunity to shout out one of our great consumer SaaS portfolio companies, Fitbod, who in this video that I'm about to show you is on stage at a launch event talking about the growth metrics that matter for subscription companies. You'll hear Jason Calacanis, who's also an investor in the company, praise the team and their approach in his intro. And I can assure you that everyone on our team reacts the same way when a Fitbod update comes in. And just to give you a sense for how powerful this business model can be, and this is the growth that Alan Chen, the company CEO, talks about in the presentation, they've gone from 8,000 subscribers to well over 100,000 subscribers in a couple of years with, again, very little capital raised and a very small team. Um, next, speaker Alan Chen from Fitbod, I was going to talk about growth metrics that matter, would send me the up and to the right chart, everybody in the office, Ashley, Sam, Jackie. Mont would say, Fitbod, did you see it? And I'd say, they sent an update and everybody runs to their desk and we see this chart and we go, whoa. And so when we get that whoa, we see that chart, we think, let's give them more money, see if we can make it go even more, yum, yum. And uh, so I offered Alan an offer and I made him a second offer and then I made him a third offer. And he said, no, love you, J. Cal, no. J. Cal, you're the best, no. 
And what he's been able to do is preserve that cap table and build that revenue uh, by bootstrapping and by using metrics. He's a tremendous entrepreneur. He's got uncapped upside. Please welcome Alan. And so you can see there the sort of optionality and control of your own destiny that you have when you start building a company like this. You don't have to be reliant on venture capital funding. You maintain control of the cap table and you have the ability to build a business on your own terms. Now, Alan and his co-founder Jesse are too busy building a great company at FitBod to hang out on Twitter all day like me, uh, but you should go follow them anyways. So we'll give Jesse a retweet and we will jump back and check out the next tweet on this space from uh, TechCrunch's Kate Clark on Visco. And I think Visco is a great company to end with and to talk about here uh, because Visco to a large degree exemplifies both the challenges and amazing opportunities in building a consumer SaaS business. Finding consumers to pay you is often a very slow burn. Visco wasn't a rocket ship to hundreds of millions of users like Instagram. But the beauty of subscription businesses run properly is that you can, as Alex Two of Calm mentioned earlier, Control your own destiny, even without that rocket ship growth. And in consumer SaaS, companies that operate with that patient philosophy are rewarded. So I can't think of a better line to end on today than this one from Visco CEO Joe Flory from that same TechCrunch article that's mentioned here in this tweet. Uh, and this is it right here. The creator always wins. The con community always wins. Who's paying us wins and Visco wins. It sounds simple, but this creates a business model in which our business is not extracting value from any one group to give to someone else. It's this direct relationship with who's paying us. That's a perfect way to sum up the consumer SaaS model. That's a perfect way to kind of look towards the future for what this market could be and how excited I am for the types of businesses that are being built in this market and will continue to be built in this market going forward. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me for this deep dive into the consumer SaaS space here on Venture Desktop. And I look forward to doing this again. If you want to stay up to date, come find me on Twitter at Brett Bivens or head to VentureDesktop.substack.com to subscribe to the newsletter and get all the links that I go through during the show straight into your inbox. Thanks again and talk to you soon.